0: So tonight we're continuing our series in Galatians. We're looking tonight at Galatians 3, 15 to 22. Um, We're looking at law and promise. Um, So just as you're looking for that uh, chapter in your Bibles, I'm just going to set the scene for us. So basically, uh, in this passage, we have two opposing sides. We have law and promise. We have a group of people called the Judaizers, and they are on team law. And they believe that obedience to the law, given to Moses. It was their works that made them righteous and acceptable to God. And on the other side, we have Paul. And Paul is on team promise. And he's saying it's not by law, it's not by works that were made righteous, but it's actually by grace. So he's championing uh, the promise. And this promise was made to Abraham by God centuries before. So I'm going to give you a little bit more background to this. Um, So try try and get what I'm saying here so in in short basically for this promise God promises to Abraham he's gonna have many descendants he's gonna have a land for them and then they're gonna become a nation that's gonna bless the rest of the world so as well as the literal kind of side of that stuff that we just talked about there there's also a spiritual side to it there's a spiritual fulfillment of this promise and that is that out of one of Abraham's descendants God's blessing is going to be made available not just to the Jewish people descended from Abraham but to all people who believe in him and that person was Jesus. So basically tonight when we talk about law we're talking about the legalistic way um, that the Judaizers lived their lives dependent on their works and what they did. And when we talk about the promise we're talking about God's grace. We're talking about Jesus being the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham and ultimately rescuing all people who come to him. And we're going to look back into Genesis to the moment when the promise was given to Abraham a little bit later on. I know that was quite a lot. Is everyone with me so far? V- vaguely. Okay, cool. So tonight we're going to dig into this passage and ask what's going on with law and promise. How are they related? How do they fit together? And how do they affect us today? So let's read Galatians three fifteen. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus, do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Amen. Quite a lot of information coming at you then, quite a heavy passage. But we're going to dig into it, and um, we're going to kind of take it apart and, and see what it means. So first, we're going to be looking at the promise. Uh, when I was about six years old, I had a best friend called Martin. I realise Martin isn't really a name you'd give to like a small child. It seems like an old man name. But me and Martin, best. If there are any Martins here, by the way, I'm very sorry. Uh, good name. Anyway, me and Martin uh, were best of friends. You know, two peas in a pod, always hanging out together. We'd walk to school together. After school, we'd go to each other's houses, cycling, football, any activity, you name it. Me and Martin even had a secret den, a secret hideout in the woods where we'd go and collect stuff that we thought was really cool and we'd kind of store it up there and then we'd hide it. And when I say, like, stuff, We thought it was great, but actually it was just a load of rubbish. I think my prized possession was like a really big, rusty spring, which I thought was amazing, but really isn't that good. Me and Martin were great friends, but I wanted to make sure that our friendship would last forever. So what I decided to do was get Martin and me to make a promise. I said, Martin, we're going to promise that we're going to be best friends for life, okay? And this is what we're going to do. We're going to spit on our hands, and then we're going to have a handshake. Our spit's going to mingle, and then through that, it means we're guaranteed friends for life. There's no, there's no stronger bond than the spit handshake. We all know this. And I was convinced we're always going to be friends. However, disaster strikes. A few years later, I move away. And you know what? At first, it's fine. Me and Martin try and keep the friendship going over the phone. But, I mean, we all know the pressures of 10-year-old life. It's just too much sometimes to, to keep that going. And sadly, over time, me and Martin drifted apart, very sad, Ah. but often we can make promises, and they they work in the short term, they seem kind of fine, but long term, they don't always follow through, they start to fall apart, and the first point we want to make about the promise that God makes to Abraham is this, the promise is a promise, now that might seem like a ridiculously simple kind of point, we're really digging deep into the word today, the promise is a promise, but it is simple but it's important to remember god's promise is actually a promise it's unchanging it's fixed his word is true in verse 15 the language paul uses compares god's promise his covenant to a human covenant like a like a legal document or kind of like a will that's kind of what he's getting at so you know today if you have a will it can be changed several times you can add stuff to it you can take stuff away but back then in Roman law if you decide to make a will once you've made that will that will is fixed it's not going to be changed no matter what happens that will will stay the same it can't be affected by new conditions it can't be annulled it can't be modified so Paul is kind of using this picture to say that God's promise is a promise. It's going to stay a promise. And also the fact Paul chooses kind of a will to make his point highlights the fact that this promise of God was like an inheritance. You know, he gave it to Abraham and he said, this promise is for your descendants. It's going to be passed down uh, to the Jewish people. By being a Jew and by following God, you are an, an inheritor of this promise given to Abraham. But, you know, for the Galatians, Uh, of then and for us today that promise, as I said in the kind of intro at the beginning, was actually fulfilled in Jesus and is given through him. So through belief in Jesus we can claim that inheritance. The promise is still in force today and he's not going to annul it, he's not going to modify it, he's not going to change his promise to bless us, which is good news, right? But the Judaizers didn't see it that way. As we've said, you know, they, they love the law. They love the law of Moses. And they see the law as something that kind of superseded the promise. It kind of went over it. It's almost as if like, they imagined that God had painted the promise on a wall. okay, And then all of a sudden, when the law came along, they could kind of see God coming with like, a new coat of paint, a different color, and kind of going over it. And it's like, oh, okay, this is, this is the new coat of paint. This is the new thing now. Now we're focusing on the law, but it doesn't work like that. They kind of saw it as the next part, more important, superseding the promise. It doesn't work like that. And Paul directly challenges this in verse 17. He says, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. The promise is still a promise. And today we might treat a promise fairly seriously, you know, I promise I won't forget, um, I promise I'll be there, I promise I'll be there on time, that's one that I personally struggle with quite a lot, um, Hazel knows for Hazel, uh, as a constant battle for me, but um, the kind of promise that God makes to Abraham isn't really like that, it's not just kind of like a, maybe a throwaway verbal promise that someone might make, it's actually very different, God says to Abraham, In Genesis he says this he said he'll give him descendants and a land and then Abraham turns around and asks him God how can I be sure of this how can I be sure that you're gonna do this and it becomes a little bit like me and Martin's spit promise at this moment it's like it's beyond words God does something quite strange he says go and get some animals go and get some birds and what I want you to do is I want you to kill them I want you to cut them in half and then lay them on the ground opposite halves like that, and I want you to make a kind of path of all these dead animals on on either side. Sounds completely bizarre. What is going on here? What is happening? Well, basically, in that day, uh, if you wanted to make a promise of someone, if you wanted to make a covenant, this was one way of doing it. So you'd cut up these animals, you'd lay them out, and what would happen is both of the people who were making the promise would walk through the animals together, okay? So they're walking through these animals, and basically what it is is the dead animals are like a visual reminder for them of what is going to happen if one of them breaks the promise. So it's like they're saying, may I be like one of these like, dead animals here, may I be cut up and cut off if I break this promise. So God is using this kind of visual promise as a way to tell Abraham, this is a promise that you can bank on. I'm serious about this, this is a genuine promise. So God keeps his promise, it's serious, and it's genuine. And the law doesn't cover up the promise, it doesn't paint over it, it doesn't supersede it. But you might think surely the law affects the promise in some way because it comes later. Um, you know, even if it doesn't change it massively, surely it surely does something. And the next point is the promise isn't dependent on the law. The promise is separate from the law. Um, I love a bargain, I'm sure many of us do here, um, and I'm a, bit, I'm a bit of a bargain hunter. I've always got my eye out. Hot UK deals, Anyone a fan of that? Some cracking things on there. But you'll find me often in Tesco at the reduced section. That is like, that's like my zone. And I'll be down there on the ground at eye level just trying to kind of sift through all the stuff and see what's there. Some days you go, it's slim pickings. It's like spring onions, 10p off. Nothing to get particularly excited about. But some days, like yesterday, it's like Christmas. So I go into Tesco, it's five o'clock, pretty hungry. Have a wee we It was quite a lot on offer today. I'm like, ooh, might get lucky. What do I find? Two beef steaks, peppercorn sauce, 42p. Amazing. Just like brilliant. Can't get better than that, right? So I love that. In that moment, I'm like, yes, brilliant. I love a bargain. But you know what I love even more than a bargain? I love free stuff. So, when I was a student, Freshers' Fair, (laughs) it's coming across really stingy here, Um, when I was a student, it was the Freshers' Fair, I'd be like grabbing everything I could, bags, pens, you know, vouchers for free burgers, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And at the minute, what what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make a video. Um, So, video editing software is quite expensive, um, but online there's lots of kind of offers of like free software, click here, it's all like legit just to let you know, it's nothing, I'm not stealing anything, but you think, oh great, so click download this software to make this video. So the software's on my computer and I open it up and it's just, it's quality, it's brilliant. The user interface guys, perfect, brilliant. All these options, I can add lens flare, shaky cam, put some filters on there, scrolling text, all this stuff, I'm like, this is brilliant. Just making this video, A couple of hours go by, and at the end I'm like, masterpiece, pass me the Academy Award right now. This is fantastic, I've done it, I've cracked it. And so I click save, and then I sit back, and I'm about to admire my handiwork, press play, and what happens? Scrolling across the screen in huge letters. This is a free trial to get the full version of this software You must pay 70 per I'm like no Just spent all this time making this thing and it turns out that my beautiful video is ruined back to square one So often the word free doesn't mean free at all Amazon prime trial 30 days you think brilliant you go over 30 days 70 quid They're out to get you Anyway, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, a little more, I'm a little more suspicious of uh, when I'm being told that something is free. I'm a little more kind of wary now. And it's the same actually for the Judaizers here. They're approaching this with caution. They can't believe that God's blessing through his promise is completely free. They were kind of terms and conditions kind of people. They're thinking, to get the blessing of Abraham, we've got to obey the laws of Moses, uh, and we've got to do that by like perfect obedience. And it, kind of, it seems to make sense that like, that's the way that God would bless them, but it doesn't work like that. Paul says, if the inheritance depends on the law, it no longer depends on a promise. It would make God's promise void. So remember that, that picture that we had of, of God walking through Uh, sorry of uh, Abraham cutting up the animals and God making a promise to him we're going to kind of come back to that now back in Genesis this is kind of part two of that story God's asked Abraham to get the animals and birds cut them up lay them either side and make a wee path in the middle so that they can make a promise but what happens next is amazing Abraham falls asleep now that in itself I can't see any astounded faces it's not particularly amazing but here's what happens says this, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. What's going on here? What's, what's this torch, this fire? This is God. So God passes through the pieces. And what's amazing about that? The amazing thing is that Abraham is asleep. Abraham doesn't walk through the pieces of animals with God. God walks through on his own. In other words, it's like the promise of God that was given to Abraham isn't dependent on us. It's not dependent on humans. It's not dependent on what we do. Abraham didn't walk through it. God did. So when, when we fail God, when we kind of like uh, go back on the promise he's made, the promise isn't modified. It's not made void. Our inheritance that he wants to give us isn't, isn't taken away. God took it all on himself. It's all about a free gift of grace. And like the Judaizers, sometimes we can think that grace actually does have terms and conditions. We can think that when we mess up, when we make mistakes, when we sin, it no longer applies to us. That it's dependent on us and what we do. You know, maybe we feel like following God is a little bit like the free trial kind of software that I was talking about earlier. It's almost like you can imagine walking down the high street And you see a big shop window that says, free grace here. And you think, fantastic, I want some of that. And you go in. (laughs) And you go in. uh, And at first, it seems great. You're like, fantastic, free grace, this is brilliant. But then, over time, you realize that maybe it isn't actually about grace, maybe it's actually about law. You know, I can see a stock room there in the back. Maybe I should be going and kind of working there. Maybe I should be kind of earning my keep, so to speak. It's not Maybe it's not enough just to rely on God's grace alone. Maybe I need to kind of earn it a little bit, work hard and clean up my act. And then, once I've done that, he'll keep loving me. No, that's when we slip into law, when we do that. It's always about grace. His promise, his grace, is outside of the realm of our sin and our failings. So as God walks through the animals alone, it's down to him, not us. I heard a quote about this moment of God walking through and it says this, I think this is brilliant. It says, God signed his name on the dotted line of salvation. In that moment, it's like God's name alone. He's just like God, not us, just his name. It's fantastic. So this moment is also a picture of the fulfillment of the promise in Jesus. We're like the animals, Jesus' body is maimed and it's torn. And as he goes to the cross, he takes the punishment for our sin. So the promise, all about God. All about his plan, all about God's grace and his initiative. And the law is all about man. Man's duty, man's works, man's responsibility. The promise has to be only believed and the law has to be obeyed. And there might be a question in our minds when we hear about that. It says, well, if if we're not under law, if, you know, we're not kind of bound by that, does that mean that we can do what we want? Sure. Grace, right? Grace abounds. We're free to do what we like. Now we're still called to live lives that are godly. We're still called to be different from the world that we're in. But we're not supposed to do it from a place of law that is legalistic, where we feel guilty. But we have to allow God's grace to change us day by day. So that's promise. Let's look a little bit at the law and the law. When that comes on the screen, it seems very ominous, doesn't it? Like the law. All we've heard about the law so far seems to be quite negative, doesn't it? Judaizers believe it's not by faith alone that we're saved. Something else is required. The law works. It doesn't seem to be centered on Jesus, but on man. So why is there the law? Why is it there? And this is where I think it's confusing, because in the Bible, David in the Psalms says stuff like, I delight in your law. I, you know, I meditate on your law day and night. Like your law is wonderful. And he's just saying about how amazing he thinks the law is. And God himself says, you know, by my spirit, I will write my laws on your heart. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Yeah, all we've heard so far seems to say how the law is a bad thing. Both promise and law, it can't be as simple as accepting one and completely rejecting the other. They both were given by God, and they must both have a purpose. There must be a reason for both of them. Law actually has a specific role to play. When we ask the question, "Why then the law?", Paul answers that it has a specific role to play. Um, have you ever been to a high school kind of play where there's maybe just one one kid who's just a little bit overly keen, like they kind of they've got their eyes kind of like looking towards the future. They're like, "I'm going to be a star one day." And then you go to this play, and it's like. You know their smile is just a little bit wider than should be humanly possible and their eyes are a little bit brighter and they're kind of like that every dance move has an extra flourish you know every song you can hear hear them just like singing above everyone else they're always kind of jostling their way to the front of the stage a way to imagine that all of us tonight after the service are going to go to a musical we're going to go and see grace the musical at the music hall very exciting and so we're all very excited about that we're going to see the musical and we get there we look at the program, and then in the program, we say, "Oh, Laws in this. Oh, laws here. OK. Law's got a three-minute solo in the middle of that. That should be good. That should be quite interesting. Uh, quite up for that. What's my point? Oh, yes. <laughs> 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 and then <laughs> And then the light's dim, the curtain comes up and the cast come on the stage, but Law has become that kind of overly keen high school kind of kid character we're talking about. Law has made its way to the front of the stage, and it's supposed to be like a huge song that everyone's joining in, and it's just like, Law, 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 la, and Law is just taking over completely. Law is right at the front. And you think, okay, that kind of ruined the first scene a little bit, but you know, we'll We'll see what happens. But no, it's the same. Every single scene, law is there ruining the whole thing. And at the end, you didn't even know that the play was about grace because all you heard all night was law, 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 law. Law has a specific role to play in supporting the the role. It has a supporting role in the bigger picture of God's promise, of his grace. It has a specific role in that but it's not supposed to take center stage in our lives. It doesn't work when we put law in that place. So in verse 19, it says this, law was added because of transgressions, because of our sin. So it was added to show us our own sinfulness. It was added um, to allow us to look at our lives and see where we'd fallen short. Uh, in Romans 7, 7, Paul says this, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. And then he goes on to say, when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. So Paul is showing here how the law not only showed up his sin, how it revealed it, but the law also showed how helpless his situation was. It showed how he was completely in the power of sin. And in the passage we're looking at tonight, in Galatians 3, he says this, he says, Scripture declares the whole world a prisoner of sin. So not only is law's job to reveal sin in us, but to show us that we're completely in its power and we desperately need a rescue. And that might sound like a negative thing, but that is a vital thing to realize. That is a vital work that the law needs to do. Paul then goes on to say, Scripture declares the whole world a prisoner of sin so that what was promised to Abraham, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Law doesn't replace the promise. It doesn't paint over it, but it actually points to it. The Bible commentator John Stott puts it like this. This is good. He says, After God gave the promise to Abraham, he gave the law to Moses. Why? He had to make things worse before he could make them better. The law exposed sin, provoked sin, condemned sin. The purpose of the law was to lift the lid off man's respectability and disclose what he is really like underneath. Sinful, rebellious, guilty, guilty under the judgment of God and helpless to save himself. And this bit's good, no man has ever appreciated the gospel until the law has first revealed him to himself. It is only against the inky blackness of the night sky that the stars begin to appear. It is only against the dark background of sin and judgment that the gospel shines forth. So law brings us to a place where we realize we need saving, we need a savior. It brings us to Jesus so that in him we can find salvation and in him the promise is fulfilled. So if we know that, the idea of staying under the weight of law makes absolutely no sense. It's almost like you're going for a drive. Let's say you're going to California, okay? And you're very excited about your trip to California and you're on the road and then all of a sudden you see a big sign that says California this way and then you park your car and go, good enough. California, I can read it there, I'm fine. And then you just You wait there, and you don't go. That's what it's like. It's like, no, that that sign isn't California. That's not the final destination. That's not where you're going. But you're like, no, it's fine. I'm quite happy here. The destination is still miles away. And with law, grace is the final destination. The promise is the final destination. We can't stay in the law, because all it will do is make us feel guilty. It can't make us righteous, and it can't give us life. So law has a job to do but only when we put law in the wrong place, when we put it center stage, is there a problem. We need to allow law to do what it does best, convict, show us our sin, but then point us to grace, point us to Jesus. And lastly, we have to choose to live in the promise. Um, I want to tell you a short story. Um, It's from Greek mythology. Um, If there are any real fans of Greek mythology here, I apologize in advance because I'm probably going to butcher what's actually quite a nice story, but anyway. Uh, this story is about the, the sirens, um, and they were kind of, I guess, like mermaid-like creatures. Uh, and the sirens would, uh, would sing a song, and as they, as they sang their songs, sailors going past would be drawn to them. They would be bewitched, and they would drive their ships into the rocks of the island that the sirens were on, and they would, they would drown. So pretty serious stuff. but. Sailors learned to block their ears. They learned to kind of avoid uh, going near the sirens because they knew they were in danger. But there were two men who wanted to hear the song of the sirens. The first was called Odysseus, and the second was called Jason. So Odysseus had a plan. He was like, if we just go sailing up to uh, the sirens, it's all going to be over. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get beeswax and I'm going to put it in all of the sailors' ears. I'm going to block their ears so that they can't hear the sirens. And then his plan was, he said to his crew, I want you to strap me to the mast. I want you to get rope and tie me to the mast, okay? So that when we go past the sirens, when we go past the island, I'll be able to hear the song and I'll probably want to kind of go to them but I won't be able to do anything about it. And he said, you have to promise me that no matter how much I protest, how much uh, I command you to release me, that you won't. And they go, okay, cool. So they do it. All the sailors can't hear and then they go past the sirens. And he's strapped to the mast. And the sirens start their beautiful song. Ah, like that. And I know you all, you all felt drawn to me in that moment, didn't you? They start their beautiful song. And Odysseus doesn't stand a chance, does he? He hears the song. And he's just totally transfixed by it. And he's struggling against his ropes. And he's frustrated. He's trying to get out like that. He's trying to break free. But he can't. So he starts shouting to his men. The song is getting louder, it's getting more and more intense. And he's, come on, release me, free me! And they're like, nope. And he's struggling, he's struggling, and it's like the ropes are starting to break free, so they actually have to go and get more rope to tie him down. And he's screaming his head off. And eventually, the ship sails past. They're out of your shot, and they release him. Now it's Jason's turn. It's Jason's turn to go past the sirens. Uh, And he has a different tactic. What he does is he hires a man called Orpheus. And Orpheus was the most brilliant musician in the world. Okay. So he brings Orpheus on the boat. And he says, what I want you to do is when we go past the sirens, I want you just to start playing. I want you to start playing your music. So, okay. Ship starts sailing past. And the sirens, again, their beautiful song. "Ah," Like that. (laughs) But quickly, (laughs) Jason Jason says to Odysseus, Okay, right now, play. Play your music. And Odysseus starts to play. And it's the most beautiful song that any, any of them have heard before. And the, the siren song is, is going, but the song of Odysseus, the music that he's bringing, is louder and it's more beautiful. And all of the sailors and Jason are just kind of stood around just listening to this music completely captivated by it completely transfixed on it and the sirens have no effect on them all they can hear is this music and you know that that story is a real picture of the law and promise here of law and grace we can choose to live by law we can choose to strap ourselves down kind of tie ourselves to the mast with works we can put it all on us because, you know, the law has, has a place. It can convict the mind. It can restrain us and, and maybe stop us. But it can't change the heart. In the same way that uh, Odysseus, you know, his heart wasn't, wasn't changed by putting these ropes around him. It just stopped him moving forward. It's constricting. The law can't change our hearts. And when we put it in the wrong place and when we expect too much from the law... If we expect life and righteousness from it, we get frustrated and we despair. And it can often lead us into more sin. But you know what? Grace is like that sweet violin. uh, I don't know if it was a violinist invented that. That sweet music that Orpheus played. And when grace comes, it drowns out the other voices that are calling to us. So we have a choice here. Let's choose to live in the promise God has given us. That his grace is enough. By believing in him and living by that grace, we receive his gift of righteousness that we can never earn from law. And let's let life flow from that place. In the middle of our sins and our frustrations, let's cry out to God, God, change me. God desperately wants us to have that freedom. He doesn't want us to be stuck to the mast. He wants us To hear the song of grace that he is singing over us. So let's tune our ears to that grace. And let's find life in him. Where do we stand?